your Bibles to Esther chapter 2. That song we just sung, uh, the first time I ever preached when I was 20 years old. I don't think I've told you this before. The first time I ever preached, they sung that song. I was preaching on the holiness of God, and they began to sing that song declaring how holy God was. And uh, I went to the altar. It was just before the message, I went over to the altar because I was so broken that uh, I'd asked God to give me a sign that he was in this, that I was going to be preaching. And they sung the song about the very thing that I was going to be preaching on. And it, it just broke my heart. And let me see how faithful God is to his word. And he still is today. He's faithful to his word. We're going through the book of Esther. It's been a few sermons through, and we're going to cover parts of chapter 2 and chapter 3 today. Again, we're looking at Mordecai again, and we're going to be introduced in chapter 3 to Haman. We haven't heard about him yet, but he's going to be the, uh, the wicked, uh, evil man who's going to come against the Jews. But today we're looking at Mordecai and some more truths about him and about being a godly man. The title of this message is, We Need Men Who Know How to Love, Who Will Take a Stand, and who will not bow. We learned already that Mordecai was a man who knew how to love, and he knew when to love. In chapter 2, if you'll look back there with me, in chapter 2, verse 5, it says, In Shushan, the citadel, there was a certain Jew. We looked at that at the conclusion two weeks ago of the last message. A certain man whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. And we talked about how that meant that he was a descendant of Saul, King Saul from the Old Testament. Verse 6, Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives who had been captured with Jokonai, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful, and when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her in as his own daughter. We kind of touched on this point already, but I'm going to, I'm going to speak it again because it was, it was that Mordecai was loving when Esther needed him most. We looked at this before with the verse that says uh, pure religion. Uh, we translated worship. Pure worship is, is those who would visit orphans and widows. And for Mordecai to take in this orphan as his own daughter, to adopt her as his own, was one of the most loving things that he could do. It was out of worship to God that he would do such a thing. But if you look at it from Esther's perspective, it was when she needed him most. It was when she needed a father. And men in, in this church who know how to love are going are to know to love their children when they need it most. You don't know when that day is going to arrive. You don't know when the day's going to come when you're going to get up in the morning and find out about a sickness they have or a need they have or some emotion or some thought that's going on in their life. But a, a godly man will recognize when your child needs love most. You'll recognize today they need me. Today I need to be with them. Or today they need to come go with me to work or whatever it may look like. You will, as a, as a man who follows after God, you will be able to determine... Today is the day they need extra, extra attention, extra time, a listening ear, extra encouragement. 
And that's what Mordecai did. He also was there for her every day. We saw this in chapter 2, verse 11. And every day, Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. Our children need us every day. They need you to be around every day. They need you to listen to them every day. They need you to see them every day. And Mordecai did that well. It says that he paced back and forth. He spent much time every day checking on her welfare, it says. He wanted to know how she was doing. And a godly man will love his children enough to spend time with them every day. I know what you're thinking, guys. You're thinking, that's hard. <laughs> yes, it is. See the signs of the times. In this day, the, the enemy is seeking to destroy the home and destroy the family more than ever before. It's, it's, it's being done by the changing of our laws to, to undefine what a real marriage looks like between a man and a woman and to redefine it and say it can be between two men and two women. In that effort, the home is being sought to destroy, to undermine, to tear down. We must more than ever recognize the need for love and be with our children every day. Number two, he was willing to stand. We see this in the end of chapter 2. We haven't read this part yet, I don't believe. Uh, chapter 2, begin, we'll begin reading in verse 19. When virgins were gathered together a second time, Mordecai sat within the king's gate. Let me just stop you there. It is believed that Mordecai's job was something inside the king's gate. That means he was inside the king's inner circle so that he worked in a, in a relatively high position where he would have been inside the king's gate on a regular basis. It's also believed as we go through the book of Esther that Mordecai's job standing was getting higher. In other words, he was getting promoted. His, his leadership was getting recognized more and more, and he was moving up the ranks, if you will, inside the king's gate. But for, for now in chapter 2, he is already working in the king's gate. Verse 20. Now Esther had not revealed her family and her people just as Mordecai had charged her, for Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. In those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Big Than and Teresh, doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on King Azarias. So the matter became known to Mordecai. He told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And when the inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed, and both men were hanged on the gallows. And it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. So Mordecai, while working at the job one day, gets word, verse 21, that two men, Big Than and Teresh, that's good, that's good names, isn't it? Big Than and Teresh, they're going to seek to kill the king. And Mordecai hears about it. It would have been so easy for Mordecai to just go on his way and ignore the matter. But he stood truthful. His statements were validated, it says, by what he said. Verse 23, inquiry was made into the matter, and it was confirmed. Mordecai spoke the truth of what was about to happen, that these two men were going to try to kill the king. And he also stood faithful. He tells us that 
Mordecai went forward and told the queen what was about to happen, and then she went and told the king. You say, well, why didn't he tell the king? He probably couldn't get in to see the king. So the only way he could get word to the king would be by telling Esther and her telling the king. Men, we don't know when something like this might happen to you on the job or in society. When something may come to your attention and in that moment, in that instant, you have a choice to make. Am I going to stand or not? Am I going to tell the truth or not? Am I going to be faithful or not? Mordecai was faithful. You know that in this generation, faithfulness is not recognized. In generations past, it was understood that a man is to be faithful. He's to do what he says he's going to do. And he's going to follow through with it year after year after year. And today, people don't even recognize faithfulness. And certainly do not reward faithfulness. If you work on a job, you, you learn this. The secular world today does not reward faithfulness. I'll go a step further. The church today does not reward faithfulness. They do not value it. They don't, they don't validate it. And what we learned about Mordecai is that from chapter 2 to chapter 3 was a five-year span. I'll prove it to you. From chapter 2, verse 16, look there. It says in the end of the, verse 16, it was in the seventh year of his reign. You see that? It was the seventh year of Azarias' reign. Now look at chapter 3, verse 7. The first month, the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Azarias' reign. So from the seventh year to the twelfth year, from chapter 2 to chapter 3, five years passed by. Mordecai had made notice that the king was about to be killed and literally saved the king's life. And five years later in chapter 3, Mordecai still hasn't been recognized for saving the king's life. He's got no credit for it. And his faithfulness has not been rewarded. That's going to happen to you today if you're faithful. Years will go by and it will not be rewarded. You have to be faithful for the reason of honoring God. That will have to be your only reason. Because you love God and you honor God. If you're going to stand out of faithfulness, it must be for honoring God. Ecclesiastes tells us in the Old Testament that faithfulness was not rewarded. Look what it says. This wisdom have I seen under the sun, and in it seemed, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that same poor man. Then I said, Wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Notice that this poor wise man spoke and saved the whole city, but it says immediately after that, he was not remembered for it. But rather, his words were despised later in his life. We need some men who are willing to take a stand. 
willing to be truthful, and willing to be faithful, even though your words will not be remembered, and even though you will not be rewarded on this earth, you'll be rewarded in heaven. Mordecai was willing to stand. The third thing we see about Mordecai is that he would not bow. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to look at Haman who comes on the scene and see Mordecai's response. Chapter 3, verse 1. After these things, King Azarias promoted Haman, the son of Hamadeth the Agag, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman. For so the king had commanded concerning, concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Underline that in your Bibles. Verse 2. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Verse 3. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily and would not listen to them, that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who, throughout, who were throughout the whole kingdom of Azariah, the people of Mordecai. You're going to read the rest of chapter 3. We're not going to read it today. Haman got permission from the king that on a certain day, all the Jews will be killed. Every one of them. And they set a date, almost a year out. They set a date that on this date, to come, almost a year from now, we will kill all the Jews, take all their possessions, and literally wipe them off the face of the earth. That's the rage that Haman had against Mordecai and his family. Mordecai would not bow, though. We see, first of all, in these verses that it could have cost his job. It says that he was serving within the king's gate. And it says in verse 2, if you'll look there with me, all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman. But Mordecai would not. So you know what that is basically saying? All the people who worked with Mordecai, all the people on his job site in the king's gate, they were all willing to bow to Haman. But Mordecai wouldn't. Everybody else he worked with would bow the knee, bend the knee to this man. But Mordecai wouldn't. And by not bowing his knee, it obviously could have cost him his job. He could have lost his position within the king's gate, which would have separated him further away from his daughter Esther. It caused all kinds of other amounts of harm to his life. Not only would it cost him his job, it could have cost the lives of his family. We saw that in verse 5 and 6 of chapter 3. Because of the wrath of Haman, verse 6, he would not take Mordecai alone, for he wanted to kill all the people of Mordecai, all the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom. Mordecai is not being willing to bow could have cost the lives of his family. Why was he so adamant about this thing? Men, think about this for just a minute. If you're being told by your government, if you won't 
bow down to this rule or this concept or this new idea that all your family will be killed. I can hear a statement being said something like this. Out of love for your family, you should bow. Is that what they would say? Out of love for your family, you should bow. But Mordecai would not bow. Did he love his family? He's proved that, hasn't he? He loved his family very much. But there's some things in this world in response to God that are more important than our earthly lives. Some things are more important than our earthly comforts. More important than our earthly finances. And it's the living God. If you have a conceivable notion of who God is and what is to come after this world, you must stand on the principles of God rather than saving the lives and the family. You say, how can a man do such a thing? I'm going to tell you that. He trusts God. He believes God. And he believes what, what God says. His bowing, his bending the knee, which is a form of worship, was reserved only for God. He would not worship some man or some rules of man. He only worshiped God. And we must be the same. It's not enough. It's not enough to worship God once a year. And everybody would agree and say amen. It's not enough even to worship God once a week. We must worship God every day. If we're going to be the kind of man who would not bow the knee. Let's go into application. How do you love, as a man, how do you love people? Take a stand and be willing not to bow. Let me first of all say, it's hard to do. And there's many men who will not succeed in what I just said. Many men who will not be loving to their families. They'll make a lot of money. They'll have a great career. They'll have lots of esteem in the community. They'll be a great businessman. But they will utterly fail in loving their families. Some men will fail. The world will esteem them highly. I preach funerals. That's something I, I do. I preach funerals. And at funerals, great businessmen have large crowds at their funeral and get lots of honor at their funeral. But when I sit with the family just prior to the funeral, lots of time the family expresses their hatred for that dad who passed away. Though he's given them so much money, and bought them so many things. And enabled them to go so many places. He did not love his family. And his family knew it. And while the world will call him a success. We must call him a failure. You say why? Because God would call him a failure. Even in the criteria to be a servant in the Lord's church. The things that are mentioned in, in regard to what qualifies a man to be a servant in the Lord's house, it doesn't have to do with how much money he makes, what kind of career he has, 
or what kind of businessman he has. It has to do with what kind of husband he is and what kind of father he is. These are the things that God values. I know it's hard to love, take a stand, and not bow. Some men will love, love their families greatly, but they'll not take a stand. I don't know if it's cowardice. I don't know if it's just a dullness of life where they don't even realize there was a need for a stand there. I think some guys, says, there's a need to stand on something and, and, and they just don't even know it. And some men will bend the knee. They'll bow down to the whims of society. I call them whims because every generation has different ones. That they elevate to be, this is the thing you must do. Men of God only bow to God and only worship God. It's hard. When one of these three things happen in your life, let's say your child needs you to spend extra time with them today and, and be loving to them. Let's say you need to take a stand today. Or let's say you need not bow today. This choice, whichever one of those it is, it's going to come upon you suddenly and without warning. You're going to get up in the morning just like any other morning and not be prepared. You're going to have your day planned out and what all you're going to get done. And you're not going to be prepared for your child to need you. It's going to come suddenly. You're not going to be prepared that today's the day I'm going to have to take a stand at work. It, it, it's going to come without warning. You're not going to be prepared that today's the day I'm, I'm better not bow my knee to something besides God. These things happen without warning and suddenly. And in the moment that they happen to you, you cannot go back and catch up on what you've left behind that week or that day or, or even the day before. You're either ready or you're not ready. These are not things you'll have an hour to think about, what am I going to do? Or two hours to think about, what should I do? You will either have to respond almost like it's a reflex because you're walking with God or you won't respond because you're so distant from God. If you've been in the depths of sin for a period of time, let's say for the moment of a day or two or three days, you've been wallowing in the depths of sin. You will not be sharp. You will not be strong. And you will likely make the wrong decision in that moment. If that's the case, you are so dull of hearing from the Lord that you will not listen to the Lord you will not even possibly seek the Lord's desire on the matter. Let me use the illustration of your child needs your love. You get up in the morning, you've got a job that needs to be done, and all of a sudden you realize in a moment, my daughter needs extra time today. I don't know why, but today, of all days, it's going to be that day. It's going to be today of all, not today of all, it's going to be like that, you know this. Today of all days, where I've got this most important job, the biggest task to do. She needs my time today. And in that moment, if you've not been walking with God, you will quickly say, I can't do it. We have a little quote at our house that we use that we heard a man once say to his daughter. He said this, it can't be done. <laughs> I won't tell you who it was, but uh, the little daughter asked her dad for something, and his response was, it can't be done. <laughs> That's what he said. 
So, so often when we, uh, they ask something of me, I'll jokingly turn and say, it can't be done. Like, there's absolutely no way that's occurring today. It can't be done. But in that moment, if you're dull, distant from God, that's likely to be your response. Something like it can't be done. You, you would even reason to your wife, honey, you know today I can't do that. It can be done. It must be done. Even in the suddenness of it. I looked in the New Testament to see a, a, a verse that would apply this, this message today. And I found 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 says this. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. The word be brave there, I taught this to my team when I was a football coach. That, that word be brave, a better translation of it would be, would be simply to say, act like a man. That's what it's saying. Be a man. Be a man. King James Version says, quit you like men. The Revised Standard Version says, be courageous. What does it mean to be a man? It starts by watching. The word watch means to be awake, to be vigilant. That there's some destructive calamity about to overtake you, and you must be ready. Most of you know that when God first called me to preach, I thought God was calling me to be a revival preacher, that I would travel the rest of my life and preach revivals. And if you've been in this church very long, you've, you've learned after being here very long, we don't even have revivals here. Uh, do you know what a revival is in, in the context of American history? It would be a week-long series of church meetings where they would start usually on Sunday morning, have Sunday night, they'd start, it's, it's a revival week, and then have Sunday morning, Sunday night church, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. Now that's from the mountains. It would be seven days. It would last a full week. Now, when I moved to Lewisburg, it didn't last seven days around here. It lasts two or three. It might go into Monday night or Tuesday night. Maybe in the old days, it went a full week. Is that true? Maybe in the old days. But in modern days, people just weren't going to come to church for a full week. They're just going to come two or three days. And, but that was a revival. And the intention of a revival was to awaken the, the people of God, to stir the people of God, to, to create a new fervor in your life to walk with God like you once did. And I thought that's what God was calling me to do, and, and that's what I was going to do the rest of my life. And then the Lord called me to be a pastor. And as I became a pastor, I began to study revivals. And not just revivals in history, but revivals in the Bible. And revivals in the Bible were not the way we had made them out to be. They were not a series of church meetings that lasted for a week. Revivals in the Bible were conversations. It was two men having conversations with each other, or two women having conversations with each other, or a husband and wife having conversations. In other words, revival came out of two people spurring each other on to be more committed to the Lord. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says it like this, As iron sharpens iron, 
So a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. In other words, the same way iron sharpens iron, that's the way a spiritual fervor is to be encouraged. I can talk to Brad and talk about loving the Lord or read my Bible, and he would respond back to me about what he does. And just through that conversation, there would be a striking of iron against iron, which would be a sharpening of us, of us both. Our countenance would change, it says. Our, our fervor for God would change. That's biblical revival. You would beat two pieces of iron together and it would sharpen them, which means it would strengthen them and make them more prepared to cut. Now, it doesn't say that wood sharpens iron. Because that don't, that don't happen. Two different materials, wood and iron, striking each other would not cause a sharpening effect. For those of you who are young people who are at the age of marriage now, uh, that's one of the reasons the Bible says do not be unequally yoked. Because if you're unequally yoked, you're going to be iron. If you're a Christian, you, you marry a non-Christian, they're going to be like wood. And you're not going to sharpen each other. You're going to actually weaken each other. You're not going to be strengthened. You're going to, you're going to be harmed by being married to somebody who's not saved. If you beat wood and iron together, the iron becomes dull and the wood becomes damaged. That's what an unequally yoked marriage looks like. One of the members becomes weakened and the other one becomes damaged. And this goes on for the entire time you're married, perhaps the rest of your life. The reason for this is you're not going in the same direction. You're not encouraging each other in the same direction. You don't have the same set of values. You don't even see the same way. You don't see children the same way. How to raise your children the same way. You don't see marriage the same way. How to conduct your marriage the same way. You don't see money the same way. You don't see time the same way. I could go on and on for a whole message. I'm not going to, but it's in everything. If you're unequally yoked, you're iron striking wood, dulling and destroying each other, and that's what happens. Be so cautious today, young people, if you're about to think of being married in the near future. Do not marry somebody who's unequally yoked. I'll go a step further. Be mindful that it's true Christian salvation and not just mere religion that they have. That's just as dangerous. But you give me two people, two people of the same mind, who, who are saved by Jesus, loving Jesus, loving the words of Jesus, the B-L-E, that's the book for me. I want to do what the Bible says, and loving to pray to Jesus. Give me two people like that, and put them in the same room, let them begin to talk about the things of God, and iron sharpens iron. Two men get stronger. In your marriage, there's a strengthened bond between each other. Encouragement happens. Hope happens. You know, one comes in all discouraged, and iron begins to sharpen iron. And this one was sharp, not discouraged. This one was discouraged. And as you bang them together, they begin to get stronger and stronger, and hope is built. Faith is built. I could go on and on. You could say, well... We only have 10 men or so in this church. But I say, well, if you give me 10 men, 
who love the Lord Jesus and who will have conversations with each, with each other and allow iron to sharpen iron, allow them to become stronger and stronger, better husbands, better fathers, then that's glory to God. He says, watch. Stand. It means to stand up. Take a stand. Be vigilant. Stand strong in the faith. It means while you're standing, keep on believing God. Act like a man and be strong. Increase in strength. Grow in your strength for the Lord. Men, let's be brutally honest today. At least with ourselves. 2024 has just begun. We're starting the second month. Around the beginning of the first month, we probably had great hopes for what kind of spiritual giant you're going to be this year. What kind of man of God you're going to be. What kind of husband and father you're going to be. Here we are going into the second month. Maybe we already feel like we've failed. Are you with me? Say what? How does this? How does this happen? Standing up for for Jesus, not bowing down to the wrong things, loving my family. How does this happen? It has to happen every day in worship of God. That's the only way. It's not some set of rules or things. It's just love God every day. And when, when the sudden thing happens and the sudden need occurs that you didn't plan on, you respond correctly. If you just walk with God. Okay, how do you do that? It primarily involves two things. You've got to be reading the Bible and you've got to be praying. If you're not doing that, you're not walking with God. Not, not for any length of time anyway. I've learned, the longer I've preached, the more I learn this. I keep telling you this, but I'm going to keep saying it. If I could just get us all, to, myself included, to read God's Word and to pray. Wow, how strong we would be. You say, what do I do tomorrow? How do I begin to apply this to my life tomorrow? I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want to not be ready when that sudden need arises in my life. How do I start tomorrow so I'll be ready? Start tomorrow by reading the Bible before you do anything. Why do you say do it before anything else in the morning? Because we've learned, we've all learned over time, if we don't do it first, we won't do it at all. As soon as you get up, set aside some time and read God's Word and pray for your family and for your wife and for your children and for yourself. Do that as much as you can day after day and when that sudden thing happens in your life, you'll make the right decision. You'll be there for your child when they need you. You'll take the stand when you need to and you will not bow when you need to. And then you'll look back in hindsight and you'll praise God and you'll say, Thank God you helped me to do the right thing that day because it wasn't in my street, it was in God's street. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Would you make that your prayer? Would you start by telling God you want to be ready? You want to be prepared? And then would you just make a simple prayer that maybe you've prayed a thousand times? Lord, Help me get into your word. Would you pray that honestly today? Would you 
I mean, guys, please, would you pray this? God, help me read or listen to your word every day. Would you pray that? Now, just as you pray, think about how you can do that tomorrow. You need to get up a little earlier. Where are you going to do it? What are you going to read? Where are you going to start? Ask for God's help for you to be a courageous man. Act like a man. And tomorrow, tomorrow read God's word. Act like a man and tomorrow pray before you start your day. Ask God to guide your day. To give you wisdom and strength. God, I pray for the men of this church today. I pray you'd help us to act like men. And read your word and pray. And worship you with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind. Lord, we accomplish so many things every day that mean so little. Don't let us miss the big things. Don't let us overlook the big things. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help the men of this church to be strong men. Men of character who know when to stand. Who will not bow the knee to anything but Jesus. Who will love our wives and children with the love that Jesus has for the church. Lord, we need your help to do this. Help us, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us?